Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This episode of the DGD Podcast is brought to you by our friends over at Alumni Hall. Alumni Hall is the ultimate shopping destination for Georgia Bulldogs fans like yourselves. I'm talking about a great shopping experience with everything you want and need to show off your Georgia pride. They have licensed Georgia apparel from brands like Nike, Cutter and Buck, Columbia, Peter Millar, Champion, and also they have a two for 38 t-shirt special. So go check that out. Make sure your family is game ready with apparel, accessories, and gifts. They're located 10 minutes from campus in Athens. Check them out in store or go to alumnihall.com. It's where Bulldog fans shop. Welcome back to the DGD Podcast. As always, the NC DGD himself, Robert Reynolds. And today we're talking Gator football right on our Enemy Intel series here. Uh, we're bringing in David Waters from the Gator Breakdown. David, welcome to the show, my man. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, listen, this is a Georgia, right? This is a Georgia podcast and show. But I'm mm-hmm. going to, I'm telling you right now, this is something that the folks might not realize. I'm about to be nice today. Right. And when we're talking Gators, so I'm just letting you know. Uh, but listen, there's a lot that I want to ask and a lot of things I think the people want to know uh, about Florida. Uh, but before we get started, make sure to go check out our friends over at Alumni Hall. Uh, Alumni Hall. Listen, 10 minutes away from campus. Yeah, you got licensed apparel, Nike, Columbia, right? All this type, uh, everything you need, right? Show off your dog gear, right? Dog fandom. Go check them out. Alumni Hall in store or alumnihall.com. Give them a shout out. Let them know that DGD sent you. With that being said, David, first off, I feel like it's been a crazy offseason, crazy <laughs> offseason for the Gators. Right? Absolutely crazy, right? Uh, our favorite our favorite punchline, Dan Mullen leaves the program, right? And then Billy Napier comes in. Um, the crazy thing about it, though, from, a, from an outsider's perspective is, just from a mile high standpoint at that, like it just seems like the Florida fans aren't happy still. Um, let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. What are the overall vibes right now from this off season from the Florida Gators perspective? Yeah. Going to the off season, of course, you, you always start with recruiting and Gator fans know better than anybody out there. What level of recruiting it takes to catch up with Alabama, to catch up with Georgia, what it's going to take to compete year in and year out with those two clubs. So, you know, a lot of people, I think, expected Billy Napier. Yeah, he has a reputation for being able to recruit back to his time at Clemson, back to his time in Alabama, uh, and then being able to build up uh, in, in the Sunbelt, Louisiana, recruiting at a high level for a Sunbelt team uh, there at Louisiana, being able to build that team up. So I think a lot of Gator fans were excited about the potential of recruiting, but they expected, for whatever reason, instant results. And look, there is a reason. Dan Mullen is was fired at Florida. There was a reason Florida had to move on uh, from Dan Mullen. That was mainly the outlook of recruiting. That was what was going to hurt Florida. No matter if Dan Mullen, how good of a coach he was, it was never going to be sustainable. It was never going to be consistent to go win the SEC East or compete for an SEC championship. So uh, a lot of relationships in the state were, you know, just hurt by Dan Mullen's approach. Um, uh, Billy Napier had a 
I think it was back in February or early March. He had a big high school. He went to a big high school clinic uh, that they invited him to go to. Uh, he, he went, spoke to coaches and, and all that. And uh, I saw it on Twitter and, and was sharing that. And then I had the, the guy on that Twitter account, he DM'd me behind the scenes. He was like, hey, we invited Mullen to do this. And he never did it. Not one time. And Billy Napier. So that, that, that right there lets you know the relationship between Dan Mullen and high school coaches, high school players, probably not the best in the state of Florida. Didn't have the best reputation of reaching out and trying to create relationships there. So that's what Billy Napier has to overcome uh, a bit. It's not going to be an instant fix. Uh, our top five classes needed to go compete for national championships and go beat Georgia and go beat Alabama. Absolutely it is. But at the same time, ask yourself if you're a Florida fan or any college football fan, how likely was it for him to come in and out-recruit Nick Saban, out-recruit Kirby Smart, out-recruit Lincoln Riley out there at USC, Jimbo Fisher and what Texas A&M has going on. So, you know, there is a lot of, of a lot to look at. Yeah, do, 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 do fans want top five classes? Absolutely. But look at the realistic possibility of that happening, him coming in right now and getting that done. Absolutely. Uh, you know, my thought was this, right, taking what, right, there were some comments that Mullen left, like, even last season, right, though, you know, we'll get to that when it's recruiting season, like. That, that was a, that, that was me who asked that question, by the way, so. <laughs> I'm so glad, oh my God, all right, Georgia fans, if you heard that, that's right there, so that's all I needed to know, because it just showed you, in my opinion, from a Georgia perspective, how far off the philosophies were between Kirby Smart and Dan Mullen and why Dan Mullen wasn't the right answer, right? You hear, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but if you, you talk to Kirby about recruiting, he'll sit there and talk to you for a week and always, and, and basically, Hey, it's all, you're always recruiting, right? You, I mean, and you are right. You really are. So it just to hear, you know, when you, when you ask that question, I'm glad you asked that question because not only did it become a me or, you know, did it become viral, but it just really, really showed the the desync right of him in the recruiting process because when napier gets to uh florida within a couple of weeks you have an img commit and that never happened never, never happened nope. at, you know under mullen right and to me i always thought that you know mullen couldn't even get in the door at img and so maybe those you know maybe those relationships are immediately fixed because apparently you get a img kid so it's like okay okay but we're talking about recruiting, and I think this is one of the, my main questions. Uh, I'm just going to let you know now. Uh, we have a Make Juan Laugh Again campaign going on for our uh, chat here at the Brigade. Um, just let you know, because Juan's not here, they're trying to make me laugh. So if I smirk or something like that, that's mm -hmm. what's happening. So I'm just letting you know, so it's no disrespect to you. I'm just letting you know they're on a mission, okay? Right. Um, but moving on from that, you know, the cocktail party. I, th I think this might be one of the biggest questions and, and I want to get your thoughts on where, at least your opinion, right. On the cocktail party, should it be in Jacksonville every year? Or do you think it should be a home and home? What are your overall thoughts on that from your perspective? And then maybe in comparison or contrast to what the state of, you know, what the program in, in Gainesville is thinking, what is, what's your thoughts on that? So a little more of my background first, because that does come into play a little bit. I, I was born in Jacksonville, but me and my family moved to Southeast Georgia when I was three years old. So I was raised in Georgia, basically. So, of course, raised a Gator. My family's Gators. So I was raised a Gator. Uh, but, you know, all my best friends I grew up with through elementary school, middle school, high school, college, that was, that was our game. You know, I grew up in Blackshear, Stetson Bennett's hometown. That's where I grew up. And, you know, that that was our game that that's Southeast Georgia's game. You know, it, it's a lot closer ride to Jacksonville than it is to Athens. I had many Absolutely. friends who, who didn't go to Athens at all. And their one game a year was to take the short trip down to Jacksonville and watch your Bulldogs play and, you know, watch them watch them play against the Gators. So that's my background. They, the game holds a special place in my heart Yeah, in Jacksonville because. In the area I grew up in, Jacksonville is my hometown. That's where I live right, right now as well. All my family's in Jacksonville, but that was our trip. Me, all my five, six Georgia buddies gather up in a vehicle and, and take the track down to Jacksonville. So if that's my background. There is some bias there because of that, that, that aspect of it uh, there. But also, look, look we're, we're losing tradition of college football week by week, it, it seems like. And that is, that is college football's 
one of college football's biggest traditions right there, right up there with Texas and OU as far as neutral site rivalries go. Uh, you don't ever hear about that game being moved. So, but for whatever reason, we hear about this game being moved uh, a whole lot with, with Florida and Georgia. And look, I, I get Kirby Smart's angle to it. You want to be able to recruit. You want to have every opportunity to have uh, recruits on your campus. But in the way, look, I mean, looking at it from an out, outsider perspective, it's not really hurting recruiting all that much for Georgia <laughs> when you look at it as in an overall sense. So uh, the, the game in Jacksonville, I mean, like I said, I'm in Jacksonville now too. So that, that probably leans some, some toward bias as well. I, I'd love for it to stay in Jacksonville. I look forward to that game every year. Look forward to see, look forward to seeing some of my, my buddies come into town now. And that, that is just our time to get together. But um, I, I will say, you know, could it go home and home, at some points, you know, could they change it up just a little bit to, so some players, coaches have that experience? You know, may, may, maybe so. If, if it does leave Jacksonville, if it ever does, I'd love to see it stay in the rotation. I'd love to see it stay, you know, since, since it's always been in Jacksonville, maybe go Gainesville, Jacksonville, Athens, Jacksonville, and just keep that rotation uh, or something like that. I don't think the game should completely leave Jacksonville. No, see, I, I don't know. For me, like – I see the logic on both sides, right? I try to think as unbiased as possible. The one thing that I think about, and I know it's tradition, but one of the things that I look at from a Georgia and a Florida perspective, when you take the Iron Bowl, for example, and say, for instance, you know, every year, right, if you've, if you've watched any of the Iron Bowls, you know, kick six, things like that, right? There's been some outstanding games. Or Bama, LSU, things like this it wouldn't make sense to move them to a neutral site game. I think it would lose that luster, if you will, right? Um, yeah, I feel like moving – I feel like moving the game home and home, maybe even not permanent, right, but just like – just because I know we tested it a while back, but like when both teams are good and you have an arguable top three matchup each season on, the, on our schedule, right – Georgia goes to Florida or vice versa, right? Florida comes into, you know, to the hedges. I'm telling you right now, the, the hype for that game, right? The hype for that game, every recruit would go to that game, oh, yeah. whether it be for Florida. Like, it just would happen that way. Now, obviously, Jacksonville, things like that. Like, I understand there's a lot of ties there to the city, money, monetary, whatever. Do you think it would – how could you get this done to to side for both sides, right? I feel as if Kirby wants it to be home and home, and I feel like Florida wants to keep it in Jacksonville. I'm just assuming at this point. Do you sit there and you try to compromise both ways by letting recruits come to the to the cocktail party on behalf of a certain school? How how would we how could we get that? Because I feel like Georgia, Florida is this Hatfield McCoy type thing that we're never going to agree on something. But I feel like this is something that you could try to compromise, even though I don't see it happening. But I would like to be able to host recruits. Yep. Because, you know, uh, you know, obviously, if you're, you know, if, if we were to go home and home, right, it would be every other year yep. that you're losing out on recruiting week. But at the current state and without the ability to host recruits, you're losing a week, period. And with you know, looking at last year's SEC rankings, recruiting matters a whole lot. Now, whether it's for you know, in Georgia's case, finishing top five, things like that, is one thing. However, could it make a difference? You know, could that one week make a difference? Who knows? Now, at the same time, you look at others. You know, look at Florida. I think that would help a ton. Getting being able to host a recruit, whether it be in Jacksonville or be at the swamp every other year. I think if you allow recruits to go to these games, even if it stays in Jacksonville, you're kind of getting the best of both worlds, right? Kirby gets his recruiting, you know, Florida keeps it in game or, you know, Jacksonville, right? I don't think Georgia cares about the travel as much, even though I've heard a lot of people talk about the, you know, the bus ride for Gators, the plane ride down for, um, you know, for, excuse me, the, uh, the dogs. But I think if you're able to host recruits, I think it answers itself almost. Well, I mean, is that is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that would be the first step, I think, is allowing recruits to, to, to take place. Whoever is the home team that year be able to host recruits uh, that year. I do think that that should be step number one. And, and I do – what are the logistics of that? I'm not sure. That would probably be another wrinkle thrown in, how do recruits get there. 
Um, you know, are you paying for the travel separately for them? Because, you know, it is a neutral site. There's a lot of logistics to kind of maybe figure out uh, for that as well. Yeah, as far as the travel aspect, you know, by the time Georgia hops on a plane and Florida's on a bus, the time difference really isn't all that great. I mean, is it easier to travel on a bus? Sure. But time-wise, it's not that big of a difference uh, when, you, when, when you factor it into it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there's, there, there are a lot of questions to it. And for one, you know, hosting recruits is, is the big one. Uh, that because that that is pretty much the you know the reasoning we we are hearing about this. I know both schools love the money. Uh, Jacksonville every time a contract comes up is paying more and more. And I know the um, the coaches won't speak on it, but I'm sure the athletic director, I'm sure the administration, the university loves the money that Jacksonville's paying uh, to to these schools. And that, that that goes a long way as well. You know these facilities that Florida and Georgia are building. Well, a lot of that's due to because the money they get from Jacksonville. So they would probably lose out on that uh, a bit. Now wouldn't be such a hit because you still get the the money from hosting a home game. But from everything I can gather, being here in Jacksonville, talking to the mayor, talking to behind the scenes. What these schools make from playing that week in Jacksonville, money-wise, is more than they would make hosting hosting it as a home game. So I know the businesses would love it, of course, because it is one more home game. Uh, yeah. But you know, looking at it that way, the school itself, uh, they still make more money by what Jacksonville pays than what they would do if they hosted a home game. Yeah, I, I mean, I think ultimately, you know, you look at things around the SEC, and which we'll get to that in just a second, but the you know from the overall game perspective right there's a lot of money there and and obviously i think listen i understand the logic of it because there's a ton of money there's a ton of money getting put for both of these schools to keep that game there right under the contract if i'm not mistaken the contract expires in 25 yeah 25 yep. so obviously we'll see what happens there and it's usually uh, re-upped before yeah they typically yeah, try to do it in 23 before, or 24 yeah, something like that right, yeah. yeah so Obviously, we'll kind of be having to keep an eye out for that, right? I think it'll be obviously breaking news for for both Georgia and Florida whenever they decide to do what they do with that contract. Pretty much, it's just always that way. Yeah, um, and, it, and it, maybe it's just because of the Florida. I know Scott Strickland, Florida's athletic director, came out last week after Kirby's comments and said he doesn't he doesn't see it leaving Jacksonville anytime soon. Yeah, see, I think with now, I don't know if you're familiar with McGarity, our former AD. Yeah. All right, McGarity was one of those guys where I felt like he was like kind of a yes man, even though he, he not knocking him, but I think that's just what it was. <laughs> I feel like Josh Brooks, our current AD, just basically, hey, Kirby, what do you need? Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and McGarity's here in Jacksonville now on the Gator Bowl. Yeah. So, yeah, it's wild, that's, isn't it? Yeah, that's something, <laughs> something else that probably plays into it now, too. Oh, no another, doubt. Another yeah, angle. Um, no, <laughs> So you look at the cocktail party, right? I, I, I think they have to they have to allow recruits somehow, yeah. right? Like, do you give an allotted amount, right, to sit on the Georgia side, sit on the Florida side? I don't know, right? Um, but we're ha- we have our first question here from the uh, from the sixty thirty three DGD, uh, and asks, uh, where does our guest honestly see his team right now in comparison to the dogs? Which kind of ties us into where we're going, right? This is a Florida Intel show. What are your uh, what are your uh, thoughts right there? How do you see the the Gators right now? Obviously, I feel like well, I'll hold my I'll reserve what I'm going to say and let you speak first. But what are your what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so of course you know we got through SEC media days last week, uh, and through no surprise, you know after talking to so many people last week and going around and kind of looking at um, what was said uh, through a lot of people, it was you got. You felt the love from Kentucky. You felt the love from Tennessee, uh, getting that hype around those two programs and where they would probably be voted ahead of Florida. Uh, And so no surprise there. But then, look, in in August, before the season starts, 24-7 sports will put out their team talent composite rankings. And Florida will still be the second most talented team in the East. Now, nowhere near Georgia, but there will be a separation from Kentucky. There will be a separation from, from Tennessee. So it's really all about developed talent and the transition that Billy Napier has on his hands in, in year one. So if you just want to look at pure talent comparison, look, there is no comparison. I mean, there's like I said, there's a reason Dan Mullen was fired. There's a reason we kept trying to compare recruiting to Georgia's because we knew it wasn't good enough. Uh, so uh, when you look at it that way, you know, it takes a special set of players. If you're even going to get close, like a couple of years with Trask and Pitts and Tony, even though Florida's defense was absolutely terrible that year, you had a special set of players to go get it done. Does Florida have those special set of players? You know, can can Anthony Richardson live up to some of the potential that we've seen this year? 
can, can he can he be 100% healthy uh, this year? Can he not get thrown into the wolves with, all right, well, we don't know if you're going to start versus Georgia all week, but hey, day, day before the game, yeah, okay, let's just throw you out there. You didn't you didn't prepare as a starter the whole week, but let's throw you out there against, you know, one of the best defenses we've ever seen. You know, he won't have that uh, this year. There'll be more of a, a coaching staff willing to work with him and willing to build him up through spring and, and, and fall camp. But talent-wise, you know, overall talent-wise, you know, it, it would be it would be an upset, you know, if if Florida beat Georgia, no no doubt about it. It would be it would be a huge upset when you look at all the factors. A first year head coach, talent not even really comparable. You know, does Florida have a good start in twenty two? Yeah, I, I think so. But if Florida gets the least bit of injuries this year, they're, they're, you know they gotta they gotta go way down the depth chart to sit there and and find anybody that's that's proven. And it's all based on potential, and there's not a lot of experience on, on that second level. So I think when you start comparing yourself to Georgia, yeah, there is a clear separation. Whether you want to look at talent, there's a separation, and whether you want to look at um, who you have coming back, whether you want to look at you know the transition uh, going between Mullen and, and Napier, there are definitely things that you keep pegging that you know that keeps Florida down. Would it be surprising to me if Florida fish Finish the second to East? No, I don't. I mean, I, I still think there's enough talent. You know, Kentucky. I'm I'm not a big Will Levis fan, so I, I know he's getting a whole lot of hype. I, I don't. I, I'm not he's a big also fan. getting a lot of criticism for putting mayonnaise in his damn coffee. It makes no <laughs> sense, man. Yeah, uh, that, it's not. Uh, yeah, that was that was kind of gross too. Uh, in Tennessee, you know, no matter how bad Florida was last year, they still beat Tennessee, and that was a week. That's after. the craziest thing, Dave. Right. That's and the that craziest was, thing. Week after going against Alabama, you know, Florida. You lost a very close game to Alabama. You could have completely given up and then beat Tennessee by multiple scores uh, the, the very next week. Then the wheels fell off the next week at Kentucky. It wasn't the, you know, it wasn't that. A lot of people say, oh, it was the Alabama hangover. When, there really wasn't a hangover. The next very next week, they pounded Tennessee. And yeah, then, that, and then I don't know how to explain off. that. So, but yeah, that was, that, that to me just shows you Tennessee just has this, I don't know how to explain it. It just has this stigma of not beating. <laughs> Florida, like even when Florida was down as bad as I thought they would, they still got beat. I'm like, Tennessee, just Tennessee, you know, yeah. Tennessee and ain't believing, right? Yeah, um, so I think when you factor all that in, you know, there, there's still enough to point to where Florida's clearly behind Georgia, but still the second best team in the East. But there are also reasons you could say, all right, through a transition, they may be behind Kentucky and they may be behind Tennessee this year. Gotcha. So we're, we've got a slew of questions here that just popped up while we answered this one. So we'll go ahead and this right here. Uh, what is Napier's rebuild plan, right? Um, is it UF itself, the culture, the staff, the program as a whole, et cetera? What, what's, that, what's that rebuild plan looking like? Yeah, so a lot of that goes into him taking the job and all the going through the interview process. You know, what is holding Florida back? What needs to be done uh, to to rebuild and then take the the, the next step? And a lot of it was, you know, buy in. Um, much like when Kirby took over for Rick, and there had to be a buy in from the administration, and it had to be a buy in from boosters to, hey, we need to get on the same page. The money might be there, the money might not be there. But either way, we all need to be on the same page. We all need to set a common goal. And that's what, you know, Florida's running into a, 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 a years of, you know, boosters wanting money to go certain places and not here or there and, and, and admin support of, uh, look, we all know what happens to recruiting, of maybe being a little too conservative uh, on the approach of recruiting and uh, and then certain people just standing in a way of, uh, of those type of things. So I think there had to be a, a clear understanding of, in order, in order for us to get to this level, this is what needs to happen. I need admin support. I need booster support. I need everything in my. I need to be able to hire an army of staff like he has done, uh, and you know that that needed to be fix number one. Uh, and look, unlikely as it may have been, there was a he had to go and trust and confidant Jim McElwain, former Florida head coach, a lot of connections there. Uh, he had to go talk to Jim McElwain and say, "Hey, what do you think?" holds Florida back. What do you think held Florida back? There was a conversation there and probably a productive conversation because Jim McElwain told him everything that needed to change. And that went a long way in some of his requests and, and him ultimately uh, accepting the Florida job. So that was step number one. And then if you want to go to recruiting, it, it's, it's take back the state of Florida. Too long have Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, coming in and taking the high-level guys. And Florida's off to a good start right now. Uh, I think uh, 12, 13 commits and 11 are in the state of Florida. Uh, so you can already see uh, that factor out there. And the other two are from the state of Georgia. Uh, so 
a big factor uh, of looking and getting those guys in the state of Florida, but also stay in Southeast as well. So those are the two big things, getting buy-in, getting money from for support, but also taking back the state of Florida and recruiting. Absolutely, which kind of leads us into our next question from Ruse as well, is that what type of player is he targeting, right? I know you mentioned, you know, trying to lock down the state, things like that, but are you looking at versatility, you know, burners, right? What kind of, like certain types of characters? You know, what are you seeing in regards to what type of player, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, uh, Billy Napier is trying to recruit? Yeah, if we just start with commits right now on the defensive side of the ball, Florida has a few guys where that they're looking at that defensive end outside linebacker, so they're getting some versatility there. Is the guy defensive end? Is the guy an outside linebacker? Can he move around and play both? So you can tell early on as far as recruiting goes in those kind of two positions, uh, it's – you know, trying to get some speed, and versatility there on the edge for Florida, but also on the offensive side of the ball. Florida, if you look at the receiver core right now, not a lot of speed, a lot of big body possession type receivers. Uh, they're trying to get more speed at the position. Eugene Wilson, uh, you know, one of the top ranked players in Florida's class right now, very versatile uh, burner. Uh, he can take a screen pass 60 yards or he can go and burn the defense, get behind the defense, take the top off of uh, a defense as well. So even through – taking recruiting into account and kind of seeing what they're working on in strength and conditioning as well. Speed uh, is a big factor that Billy Napier wants to, you know, put in for recruiting and development of his current players. There you go. You know, I always wondered, you know, obviously it looked like with, with Mullen, there was a different type and even now, right. I think you can kind of see that philosophy change. I feel like you start to see looking for more physicality. I think, Mullen had more of a finesse approach. And sometimes when it comes to SEC ball, especially when you're playing Georgia, when you're playing right Alabama or LSU every year, right? Like sometimes you need that physicality and the finesse will just get outweighed over that. So I think, you know, kind of seeing that philosophy change, I think is actually pretty interesting to see. And obviously, and yeah. And that's kind of crazy too. Cause if you look, if you go back and look about it, I've asked this question, you know, and kind of going back to one of your previous questions, how close is Florida? All right, well, the last two times they played Alabama, it was a one-score game. And you go back, I mean, it was just last year where Alabama comes into the swamp. Florida beat them up. Florida lost the game, don't get me wrong, and they're making excuses, but, you know, Florida beat up Alabama in the second half of that game. I mean, if, you know, if Florida hits that two-point conversion at the end of the game, the game's going to overtime. Uh, you know, so Florida beat up Alabama, beat up Tennessee the very next week, and then, as I mentioned, the, the, the wheels fell off, but – it wasn't that long ago after that Alabama game, people were asking themselves, okay, is it Florida-Georgia run in the East? Because before that, it was like, okay, Florida loses Trask, Florida loses Pitts and Tony. They're going to take a step back. And then after playing Alabama close again, it was, okay, well, maybe we wrote Florida off too soon. And maybe it is a true Florida-Georgia battle. And we all know it didn't end up that way. The, nothing was sustainable last year. But it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> you know, Florida's playing Alabama very tough. And, and we're asking ourselves, you know, is it is it still a competition between Florida and Georgia? Ultimately, it didn't end up that way, but it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, no, I think, you know, looking at it right there, you know, I got a lot of grief last year uh, around what this time or maybe June or something like that. You know, I did my SEC predictions at the time last year. And I was like, you know, I was looking at it, and I thought Florida was going to finish fourth. And trust me, I heard it. Oh, my God, I heard it. <laughs> but then, you know, then you look at what happened with Dan Mullen. It's like, thank you, Mullen, for making me look smart somewhat. Right? <laughs> like, obviously, you look at the Alabama game, right? Alabama was on a different, you know, different playing level than most everybody else anyway. But – to play him close, you're like, okay, let's see what happened. Even though Emory wrote that down right in the two point conversion until the cows came home, yep. forgot to let go almost. Like, yeah, it was there. Oh, I mean, it was. He just wrote yep. that damn thing too long, man. Like, that's, it is what it is. Uh, but so we'll read this last question, Dave, and then we'll hop into our, um, our Gator season projection. But to lead us into that projection, uh, DJ for, asks, what would a good season? look like in year one for Billy to you? Do you think Florida fans will give him more time than coaches in the past to get things turned around? Um, I, I think so as long as recruiting is trending up along the way. You know, you can't go seven and five this year and end up 15th in recruiting. That's not going to get a whole lot of people excited. Now, don't get me wrong. As I said, there are certain aspects. Do I do I think recruiting is going to trend up? I do, but you're not going to get many people excited uh, if that is a year one result right there. So, um, 
I think when you look at it, you start off with Utah and Kentucky, the first couple games. Very, We talked about physicality. Well, those two teams are going to bring physicality to the swamp week one and week two. Uh, you'd love for a good season. Florida needs to split those two games right there at least. You know, If you go 2-0, absolutely great. But if you want to start looking at a good season for Florida, they need to start by splitting those two games right there beating Tennessee a couple weeks later, keep that streak going. And then you just got to be competitive from the, 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 the rest of the year on until you get to November. Now you got LSU and Georgia in October, of course. Uh, you'd love to split those games too. That would be another, I think, sign that all right, you split LSU, you split Georgia. That is a good sign. And then, but you got Georgia and Texas A&M back to back. Very, very tough. You're playing in Jacksonville, going on the road a week later to College Station. Uh, very you – know, need to look competitive there if you want to start, start, talk, start talking about good season. But then after that, you got Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Florida State. So up to that point, I'm going to start splitting some of those games that, that I mentioned, Utah and Kentucky, and then you know, uh, beat Tennessee, split LSU, Georgia. But then you, you need to win out going in November. You need to have some good feelings – going into bowl season, that you finish the season on a high note. You need to go beat Vandy, which should happen, but you don't need to lose to South Carolina like you did last year. You need that to continue. Oh, that, yeah. was that, that was Yeah, that was pretty much the end right there. Oh, that uh, was a nail in the coffin for sure. Yeah. If, if, if it wasn't sealed, you just basically took an extra one. Was- <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. That was rough. And then you need to continue to beat FSU at, at the end of the year as well. So if you end the season three, you know, Vanderbilt, South Carolina – FSU. Then, okay, yeah, you start looking. Those are positive signs uh, there for Billy Napier uh, when you start looking at who you beat. Because Florida's got a pretty tough schedule. You know, eight and four. Eight and four is going to have some good wins built in there. Now, yeah, I think you, no you want better than that, but you can you can point to some positive signs as long as November is trending up at the end of the year. Yeah, you know, my thoughts are this right here. I want to get your thoughts on this, right? You always hear Miami basically just trashing Florida for ducking them. Right? Would you rather play Florida State or Miami every year? Uh, I mean, Florida State's just because the history's been there. I mean, look, of course, I, I grew up in the '90s, so Florida, Florida State is, you know, of course, you know that that game holds a lot of rivalry. Yeah, both teams used to be actually like nationally, like yeah, right. Prominent. I mean, Florida, Florida State was what Georgia, Alabama is now. I mean, that's that's yeah. what that game was. It came down to all right, whoever wins the end of the year, you you might go play each other again because that's exactly what happened. Uh, but you know, win that game, and you're setting yourself up for a national championship run. Uh, see, I do. I wish I could see both of y'all play it, but I, I just don't know how it would be feasible. You know what I mean? Like, it's, that it's would, yeah. Well, that's well, what I'm not the series, And we, Florida does play Miami 24 25. So yeah. it is coming up again. Uh, but yeah, I mean, how fair would it be for Florida to have to play FSU Miami every year? thrown in with an SEC championship game, thrown in with Georgia. You know, it just it, – it's not feasible. And, look, we might be getting that in the SEC. SEC you're absolutely right. Yeah, and, and we might be getting that in the SEC soon with nine, ten conference games. So, you know, Ooh. it's uh, – Well, there's some yeah. teams, there's some yeah. teams yeah. about to get a rude awakening. I, I, I don't want to – I'm just saying, like – and listen, I promised we're about to get into the schedule, but I have to do my little tangent here, folks. Texas playing Alabama in week two is all pretty and it's nice. But then tell them, hey, go play A and M next week. Yeah. And then after that, go, hey, go play Ole Miss. <laughs> oh, I wait, mean, your, cross- your crossover yeah. is Florida, by the way. Yeah, I mean, Florida's got a stretch this year. I mean, okay, Kentucky, you you talk Kentucky week one and two. Then you have LSU by week Georgia A and M. It, it's insane. It's it's like that's I, this is why nobody's really going to change my mind that SEC has the hardest conference slate period yeah. like yeah. even even in the east even in the east like like i understand listen vanderbilt can go on somewhere right go back to go to the ivy league or something i i get that right like there's no value there but you know when you have think about this say early 20 what early 2010s dave mm-hmm. when you had Aaron murray led georgia right, right with todd Gurley and all those folks but then you had florida that was actually a legit team too Tennessee with Dobbs at the same time. Like, there used to be some really, really good football in the East. And it just shows you, like, you know, while the power, the pendulum has swung to the West, there was a time in the 90s where the East was the place to be in the country. Like, the SEC East with Florida and Tennessee, even though the dogs were kind of down, SEC East was ridiculous. I still remember, what was it, 2012, you know, Florida had the one loss to Georgia in the regular season. 
Georgia goes on to there. South Carolina was really good with Jadavion Clowney uh, that year. I mean, yeah, it wasn't that long ago. South Carolina was ranked in like the top 15, top 10. Right. And that was was crazy to have Spurrier there. And I think that was right before – was that right before – Urban left, or was that after Urban left? That was that was after because that was 2012 was Muschamp's big year. It was his second yes. season, and yeah. the only loss was to Georgia uh, yep. and the cocktail party. Uh, I, I still go back to that last year. Or, I mean, there was a slight chance Florida and Georgia could have been playing in the national championship game that year because you know if uh, oh, I think I lost your connection there. Oh, yeah. There we go. There we go. I got you. I mean, there was a slight chance. Florida was going into the last week of that season. They had beat FSU. If Notre Dame had lost to USC, if Georgia would have beat Alabama, there was a slight chance Florida and Georgia could have been beaten for the national championship that year. You know, the crazy thing is, though, you look back at, was it 2011, 2012 with LSU and Bama, right? Yeah, 11. Yep. Now, 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 Georgia that year was ridiculous as well, but – if you go back and watch that game, like those two teams deserved it. Like yeah. I, I know the twenty-one nothing score in the in the championship game shows one thing, but I'm telling you, if you watch that nine to nine to six yeah. game, you'll understand. Yeah. Like if you're if you're if you're a Big Twelve fan, it was not for you, <laughs> not for you. Uh, but anyway, we've we've went on this uh, rabbit hole a little bit here, so let's jump into the Florida schedule, Dave. Yep. Uh, we'll break it down six games, six games and kind of get a feel where we are going into this season. Actually, instead of six games, we'll go up until the bye week and then after the bye yeah. week. All right, so if you're if you're unable to – if you're listening, I will break it down for you. If you're watching, go along with us. Uh, Florida's schedule is as follows. You open up in the swamp against Utah, and then Kentucky comes to town in week two. Week three, you have South Florida, followed by a road trip to Tennessee – then Eastern Washington comes to town and followed by Mizzou and LSU. All right, so that's your seven games, right? So we're doing seven games first. Obviously, the bye week, as we know, we'll talk more about that on the back end of this. What What are your thoughts on this first right, leading up to the bye week, Dave? Uh, what are we looking like in regards to the schedule? Um you want me to go win loss? I mean, because I haven't really done that we can, on. We can go. We can go win loss. That's yeah. fine. We I haven't break really it down done that on my podcast yet, so I hate to kind of break my fair point. My, I mean, my, my part because I usually do that like a week or two before the season. No, I will. How about this? It, since since it's no, since it's so, I have it go, I, I have Florida going nine and three. Okay. Okay. So, so what I'll do? What I'll do is I'll give you my wins and losses here. Yep. And I'll let you just analyze it how you feel. If it's since that way, I don't want to ruin something for your podcast. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, let's do that. So I'll let you start first. Go ahead and break us down what you're looking at, and then I'm going to give my breakdown. Yeah, so as I said, you know, Florida at, at least has to go one-and-one one those first couple games with Utah and Kentucky. You got both games at home. Uh, you, you want to get Billy Napier's tenure off to a, to, to a good start. Uh, and so I, I, think that, I think they win one of those games. Tennessee's got to beat Florida before I can see it. I know everybody's falling in love with it and, and, and everything. As I said, as down as Florida was last year, they still found a way to found Tennessee. Um, so, look, at, probably at least three and one in those first four games. Um, I think it's difficult LSU, Georgia, A and M. I know you said up to the bye week, but you have this. It starts with LSU right there. I'm, I'm, I'm going ahead and penciling in Georgia a loss too. Uh, so you know, two losses. Uh, right there, um, if you look at it, and then probably one more loss between LSU and AM. Uh, so there's where the three losses come in. As I said, I think Florida finishes that that November stretch is important once you get to South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Florida State, uh, and then and then you're looking at it right there. Um, that's, that's pretty much how, how how I break it down. So I, I, I see your logic here. I'm with you on the Tennessee thing, but I'm gonna break it down in my way. Um, so I look at Utah. And while it's in the swamp, right, I know that the swamp is a very tough place to play, but Utah comes back right off of a lot of high momentum, right? This is a statement win if Florida pulls this off, right? If, they're, if they pull it off, it's a statement win. 
I'm just curious to see how your defense handles against Cameron Rising because I, I'm a I'm a fan of him, like low key fan of him. I think he's going to have a great season this year. I'm curious to see. So for me, for me, I think that's a loss. But I think you can I think you can knock out Kentucky. I think you get it done this year. I think you get it done. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pencil the L to Utah, and then uh, or the the dub against Utah. I think I'm gonna go crazy here and say the the y'all or you lose to Utah. Good lord, lose okay. to Utah, beat Kentucky. So you start your one on one. You handle South Florida. I think Tennessee loses at home. Y'all y'all surprise them and you upset them on a like last minute play. It's just ideally because as much as I hate the Gators, I also hate the balls almost just as much. So. <laughs> I think it would be brilliant, right? But I, my thing is, how can your defense, you know, how, does your defense stop that offense, right? That offense last year was the only offense that re- outside of Alabama in the SEC championship game that really posed an actual, like, problem to start the game. And then we just, like, their depth, you know, they just played Kentucky with 95, 99 snaps, I think it was. Like, their defense played the entire game. Georgia was able to just wear them out even worse, right? So it was just able to, you know, just do that. Does Florida have the ability to stop the wave at first? I think it gets done, but it's going to be a crazy game, especially yeah. at, especially at Neyland. Yeah, especially and, at Neyland. And if you go back and look at that too, as bad as Todd Grantham was last year, Kentucky's offense didn't do anything on Florida's defense. And Tennessee didn't do what they did to everybody else either. You know, as bad as Todd Grantham was, and he needed to be gone, he was absolutely terrible. I was he should have been going after 2020. But two of his best performances of the year in the SEC play were Kentucky and Tennessee. Uh, so it makes sense of that, what you will. Uh, I think Will Levis only had like 71 yards passing uh, there. They're, they're, and, built to, they're built to run the ball, too. Yeah, and a lot of that was one – Rondell Robinson screen pass that he took to the house. And uh, it, yep. it took a blocked field goal. It took 12 pen- 11 12 penalties by Florida for Kentucky to, to get that upset at home. Um, as I said, we've, we've talked about Florida-Kentucky from last year as well. Uh, as I said, I mean, there, there's if you go back to last year, there are things you can point to where, say, you know, if Florida had just better quarterback play or just an average defensive performance, there's no way to lose the, the, the games that they lost last year. So, I do think Florida, in in some form or fashion, gets penalized a lot for last year for a lackluster staff, for a staff that was pretty much lame duck, had pretty much given up, didn't want to be there. Uh, you can see I, it. You can yeah. see it. So I, I, I do think with – now, don't get me wrong, it, it's hard to gauge transition. Um, sometimes even, even Nick Saban, you look at the transition at Alabama, it was tough. It was tough in year one. You knew Nick Saban was a great coach. You knew he was going to do good things. Goes and loses what six or seven games a year one loses to Louisiana. Was, throw. I mean, hell, a lot of people forget that Kirby's first year we we about lost to Nickel State. We lost right. to Vanderbilt. Right. Like, so people people have to understand that there's a grain of salt that comes with there, and a little bit of patience is needed. Yeah. Right. Like by year two, I mean, think about it. Not only are you getting, you know, you're transitioning, but you're getting rid of other people's yeah players. Right. Like. You're, you're changing the culture, whatever the case may be, right? It, it's difficult. Um, now, our one of our commenters here, uh, DJ, says, winning against Utah is a Notre Dame-type win for the Florida program if they pull it off. It's it's kind of high that you could ride the entire season. I I agree with that. I think if, if you're able to beat Utah in week one, you look at that as, right, like for where you are, right, Years past, Florida looks at that as just another game to beat and just, you know, yeah. moving on. But where, you know, I feel like where Florida is right now, that is the kind of momentum that can propel them to a 8-4 season, 9-3, even crazier. Yeah. Right? I mean, and, and look at it this way. In a transition, since we're talking about transition, players are looking for a reason to buy in. Right now, the buy-in is hope. You, the hope is right, new staff's coming in, but then – tangible results have to start happening. And if tangible, if the tangible result can come in week one, there's mm-hmm. your buy-in right there. Everything this staff is doing different than the last staff paid off and we got a top 10 win in game one. Your yep. buy-in is pretty much already right there. Now, can you get overconfident and go lose to Kentucky week two? Absolutely you can. But you know you can see a scenario where Florida beats Utah, it is some kind of spark for the rest of the season. Absolutely. I think – and as we pull the graphic back up, 
uh, for the rest, you know, for the up until the Georgia game. But like I said, if you handle the one and one and one against those t- first two games. That's a, listen, that's a tough slate. I know you, there's different uh, levels of, of difficulty, right? That we're about to talk about, but Utah should not be looked at as a slouch. I promise you that. And then nope. Kentucky, you know, whether or not. Right. Well, Levis is a guy. I think Kentucky has earned their right to say, hey, look, we were number two and, you know, you beat us to prove us otherwise almost. Because with Will Levis there, I'm, I'm still curious about their offensive line and how they're going to protect him because losing Darian Kennard was huge, in my opinion. You know what I mean? Um, so I think, like I said, I have I have you beaten Utah, but lo- uh, losing to Utah, beating Kentucky. Sorry. You win Utah. I mean, South Florida. Excuse me. You beat Tennessee, so you start off. And you move to Eastern Washington. I think that's a gimme, right? Uh, you know, Missouri, gimme, right? So now you're well, you're five one heading into LSU, and you're riding some momentum. And LSU comes into town, right? How will Brian Kelly handle the swamp in his first year? I think this game could be tricky, but I have you losing to LSU just based off of a talent perspective. Uh, LSU just has some freak athletes. Not saying that Florida doesn't, but just there's a different level. Um, and Brian Kelly, with his proven head coach, he's played in high-profile games. So while the Swamp is a difficult place to play, I, I just and, – and that will probably be the 330 game, perhaps, unless, unless A&M and Bama is playing that. I think they're the eighth, though. So you probably get the 330 game there. But – I think you lose to LSU, and I think it's just one of those games where it's just a gut punch, right? Like LSU is LSU is going to be good. I just don't know how good, right? And then we take it into the bye week, and I think this bye week is going to be much needed because LSU game is that first of the back half, and that back half outside of Vanderbilt is is pretty tough, right? For where for like looking at what Florida's, you know, this the, I guess you could say the point of the the state of the union, if you will. Because after the bye week, you have Georgia, and then you go to Caulfield, uh, and then you and then you host South Carolina uh, with Spencer Rattler and company, and then you go to Vanderbilt, which should be, if y'all lose that, God Almighty, that's cool. <laughs> people pitchforks are coming out, uh, and then obviously you go to Tallahassee to end the season. So you, obviously, like I said before, the for me before the bye week, I have you going five of. Uh, five and two, right? which is respectable for where it's at, right? So now it's just a matter of getting that week, you know, getting that done, right? Getting it done in the back half. So you, like I said, five and two going into the bye week off the loss to LSU. And I think you lose to Georgia. I think you can beat a and I, I think you can do it. I think you can do it. I'm not sold on a and I'm just not. I know they've got this recruiting class, but that recruiting class should not be expected to right. be – your main emphasis and your hope for winning games this season. They're not, the quarterback position is, is scary to me. I, I don't really know what to look at in regards to their quarterback room. And that's a problem. Even if you're playing at home, a good defense, if you have a subpar quarterback play, you, you're screwed. So I think you pull off the upset and knock off AM, right? Knock off AM. So you're looking at what, six and four at this point, or sorry, six and three at this point, excuse me. I think you, I think you, you will. I don't want to sell it crazy for this. I think you might lose to South Carolina, but it's going to be very close. But it wouldn't surprise me if y'all won that game because I know Vanderbilt's a win. So that's so you're bowl eligible, right? We know you're going to be bowl eligible. I think you. I don't. I don't see Florida State being the biggest problem. I think South Carolina, given Rattler, yeah, if he yeah. stays healthy, can actually be a problem. I really do. And Cam Smith is a problem on the in the back secondary. You know, you have them at home, which is a huge help right there. Can South Carolina get it done? I think they do, but it's very, very close. Very close. So, like I said, I think you have, you know, I see an eight and four season. And, and listen, that's great for a first year with what Dan Mullen left, period. There's no getting around an eight and four season. So, if you're a Florida fan and you're tuning in and you're listening to this, this is a Georgia fan saying that's a good season for year one under – Right, that's a good season. Everybody has this statement that eight and four is trash, David. And to me, I, I find it laughable. Right, especially in the SEC, eight wins is should be fairly well. Right, 
Now, when you're looking at Georgia, you're looking at Alabama, right? When you lose one game and you're still kind of getting like, oh, what the hell? We lost. It's a different situation. It's different levels to it. Eight and four in the SEC. It's a good season. Yeah. Eight and four in the transition year when you add Utah at a conference, FSU at a conference, it, it, it is pretty good. Uh, you look at that yeah. FSU game at the end of the year, uh, that was a team that couldn't beat a lame duck staff, couldn't beat a one-legged AR. Uh, out there, so uh, you know Florida should beat uh, FSU again. I think when you, by the time Billy Napier gets into the twelfth game of his first year, uh, I think you you're kind of you're kind of at where you're at at that point. I think still better than FSU uh, at, at that point. You look at the schedule too. I mean, there's a lot of home games. Uh, the first half of the season, I don't think Florida leaves this. They leave the state one time in the yeah, first in the first crazy. Yeah, in the first eight games. Uh, so, you know, very home-friendly schedule uh, as well. It kind of sets up to help build some momentum. You get that early season momentum, you add in all the home games that go along with it, you can you can see where Florida could probably build some momentum up uh, with some big wins at home. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, eight and four, nine and three range, I'm probably have my orange and blue glasses on a little bit, the lean nine and three. I do think it's that eight and four, nine and three range uh, right, right there. And there's some, there's some good wins uh, right there if you get in that range you know looking at the schedule too right like it, it's wild right like if you need that momentum this is the perfect schedule for it because yep. you're literally you're for all the way up until your bye week you only leave to go to not you know go to knoxville now that game might be tough right how you handle that because your defensive depth is going to get tested i promise you that right oh, yeah. so going eight you know going eight four on the schedule seems doable right but that also involves Florida being able to win the games that they're supposed to win and even right. surprise some people against these games. You just have to surprise somebody. If you start the season off one and one, right? Depend which however you play it, right? If you're going into yeah. your third game with one win, I think that's a telling sign. If you beat Utah, I think that's huge. But I think it might be even bigger if you beat Kentucky. Yeah, it's honest. probably more important to beat Kentucky being a conference. conference you know, yeah. Being in conference. And also, you know, you kind of if you're looking for one one thing Billy Napier would do better than Dan Mullen in year one, Dan Mullen lost to Kentucky. He was the first loss in 31 years to Kentucky. In yeah, that was, that was a crazy stat that I remember seeing. Yeah, yeah that was so, wild. So, yeah, that would be – you know, and I hate to compare year ones because this schedule was much tougher than the 2018 schedule I ever thought about being. But yeah. if you're looking at feathers in the cap, you can at least say, all right, well, Billy Napier's getting back on the right track of beating the team that we are supposed to be beating. Because I've, I've always said, yeah, Kentucky is much better. I respect K Kentucky for their growth. But if mm -hmm. Florida is Florida, Florida's not losing to Kentucky. In theory, absolutely. I think you also look at this right here. The, the reason why I said it's huge for Florida to beat Utah is because of game one in a new <laughs> regime, right? Yep. If, if you – depending on – if you're able to win that game, how you win that game could set the tone – for the entire regime, at least for, uh, set a lot of momentum, right? Yeah. You've set the bar with momentum at a high level if you win against week one, right? If you win in week one. Um, you know, so we'll read some comments here. Um, so as throughout the season, uh, our friend DJ here says that BJ Ojolari alone will be a lot for them, for the Gators to handle. And listen, he ain't wrong. That, that kid is a absolute baller, right? Yeah. Absolute yeah. baller. I, I, and I like Florida's offensive line as long as they stay healthy this year. A lot of experience coming back. Richard Garage started at left tackle last year. He's back. Um, Ethan White on the left side. He's back. Kingsley Egwakon, he's back. Osiris Torrance comes in to transfer from Louisiana. Yeah. First team All-American there at, at right guard for Florida. Their only big question is at right tackle. Uh, Michael Tarquin looks to be the guy right there uh, stepping in from Florida at, at, at right tackle. Got a couple nice nice depth pieces, too, with Josh Braun. I know big uh, former Georgia commit uh, ended up committing mm -hmm. to Florida um, um, uh, when um, Sam Pittman left. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that was uh, a big to do there. He'll be a nice – I think he can he can start. He can be a nice depth piece right now for Florida. Uh, so I think as long as Florida stays healthy up front, I really like the offensive line, especially the type of style Billy Napier likes to run uh, and, and then kind of maybe open it up a little bit more than Anthony Richardson. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, I, I do like Florida's offensive line. See, <clears throat> excuse me, you had mentioned the problem for offensive line being the right tackle. From a Georgia perspective, I'm looking at my chops. And the reason why I say that is because of Jalen Carter. 
However, comma, however, comma, and I'm gonna pull the schedule back up here, right? The offensive line can be just fine, but even then you still have to have that like mesh period, right? The offseason only does so much. You still yeah. have to get in-game shape or in-game speed, right, with that chemistry. That chemistry matters, which is why with Georgia returning everybody else, you know, for the most part, there's a reason why Georgia has one of the projected highest offensive lines returning, right? It's just one of the best ones because it's just chemistry, right? But if you look at the first half of this or the first few games, right? You look at Utah that lost a lot of pieces on defense. They're still going to return some talent. No, no, wait, was it Utah that lost or somebody else? It may be somebody else. Utah is going to be a problem. Now, Kentucky, their defense is good as well. Our friend Roots here in the comments said he thinks that defense is filthy, really good. And to some degree, Utah and Kentucky to start the season is going to be a true test for Florida, period. There's no question around it. Uh, you know, then after that, you have South Florida, which is a game where I think your offense needs to tune up, get some things worked out, right? Make sure uh, Anthony Richardson, I'm not going to say AR-15 anymore, tried my <laughs> best not to do that, but Anthony Richardson has to be comfortable in that game. You have to make him comfortable because we don't know right now how his confidence level is going to be against Utah and Kentucky if those defenses start coming off and teeing off, right? You, I just don't know. Right. Obviously, like we talked about last season, his first start was against Georgia. And to me, that was the dumbest movie you could have done. Yep. Any quarterback, any quarterback, your main, your best friend is confidence. And honestly, putting it against that defense last year, you gave this kid a you, you started him in the eight foot and told him to swim up when he's two inches tall. Like it's different. Yeah, like I, and, 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 yeah, and going to that, like I would have said, if he had been preparing the, as the starter for the whole week, maybe it makes a little more sense. But split reps all week, didn't even know he was going to start until Friday, pretty much day, or maybe even day of the game that Saturday morning. Some kind of questionable, you know, when did he actually really know? But they prepare even even as the starter the whole week. And if you were going to throw him in versus that defense, we got to remember there was a bye week there. There should have been two weeks. He that, been, and the game before was the game before was a better chance because it was wasn't the best opponent either, was it? No, I believe it was LSU where he actually played very, very well. Uh -huh. uh, let me see. Uh, I'm, trying, I'm trying to go back on this because I remember that like you could have played him earlier to get that right. Like, yeah, or that was one point, and, and, and he did get hurt, so that played into it a little bit. But yeah. he was pretty much pretty. He was pretty healthy by the Kentucky game when he came back, played very, very little in that game. Uh, yeah, so it was LSU last week, last year, by week mm -hmm. in Georgia, and he lit up LSU. And Mullen, for whatever reason, still would not name him, you know, starter after that game. Um, as I said, still split reps with Emory Jones the two weeks leading up to the Georgia game. Uh, I actually believe Emory was not, not even necessarily splitting reps. He was taking second team reps, so he wasn't getting as many reps as Emory Jones leading up to the Georgia game. So it was a complete disservice uh, right yeah. there to make his first start versus that defense. Yeah, obviously, like I said, I think that, I think honestly this season hinges on Anthony Richardson's ability to stay healthy. And, and that's something that I've questioned uh, just because looking back throughout time, right, like there hasn't been a season that he stayed healthy. This has to be the year if, if, if Florida wants to, you know, take that good first step, make a first impression on this in this right in this regime. Keeping him healthy is going to be – it should be your number one for objective. There should be no question about that. You have to keep him upright, keep him healthy. Listen, as much as people want to bash about him uh, dancing and getting hurt, like, stay healthy, and I think it makes for a better Florida team, right, even as much as this pains me to say this. A better Florida team makes the SEC fun, like, because there's actually something – I want to get it back to where where it matters. Not, not saying it doesn't matter, but where – you're looking at what it should be, right? Georgia, Florida for the East. Who's going to win that? Whoever wins that game goes and wins the East. No question. They're playing in Atlanta, right? That's the kind of shit that I want to see. Yep. Now, I need Florida to keep him healthy, and that's an excellent start to get back to those same, you know, ideology there, that, that same ideology, I suppose. Um, but obviously, like I said, I got him going eight and four. I think for a first year, right, I think you have to do, you have to do well on the recruiting trail. I think there's some work to do there. Keep in mind, he's only been there for a few months, right? We see these changes, right, folks. You see these changes. You can pick on it all you want, but bringing this army in, right, it's something different. 
it's something different that Dan Mullen didn't even think about doing because he didn't care to fucking recruit, period. No, there's no getting around it. He didn't care to recruit. You have somebody trying to change the culture, change how things are done, right? Buying in, like David said, right? Believe me, that, army, need- is, that army is needed because there is a lot of work to do. <laughs> oh, no, no, I mean, and that's the thing. Like I said, you can – obviously, as a Georgia fan, we're going to we're gonna laugh about it. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. But if you, if, but if you're a real fan, like you have to understand and respect what's going on because there's a lot of work to do that Dan Mullen neglected to do, and now you're playing catch up. Yep. And and getting these folks in there, right? I'm telling you right now, y'all snagging Corey Raymond was a problem. Yep. Was a, I think it has the potential to be a problem. Let's just say that, right? You, you know, Kamari Wilson being one of the main problems that we saw in year one. How that handles, you know, obviously, we'll see what happens, right? Recruiting trail. Recruiting season is never over with, especially in the today's world of football. So, obviously, I think recruiting's got to pick up just a little bit, oh, yeah. right? I mean, especially with the big three, right? Yeah. It's not even Georgia fans cracking on y'all. It's it's Miami oh, yeah. fans. It's yeah. no Miami has no room to talk after the weekend they just had. I mean, <laughs> listen, we just got we just got our safety. Uh, yeah. I don't think they got anybody yet this weekend. Apparently, I heard people saying four for four. One guy backed off, of, you know, pushes recruitment back, like his commitment date. Joe Nell comes to be a dog, right? Like yeah. Peyton Kirkland, you know, obviously y'all was a commit y'all were looking at. So he goes to Texas of all places. Ain't never even been, but goes to Texas. We kind of know what that's about, but I ain't going to talk about that this whole another <laughs> episode. But, yeah, so it's, Miami fans, they got no room to talk right now, boy. That's all I'm going to say. But, um, you know, but looking at it, right, the season, you know, y'all have to make and take advantage of the season. Eight and four is doable, especially with a home-loaded schedule. I think you have to take advantage of that home-loaded schedule. You have to, especially in that first half, right before the bye week. If you yep. take advantage of, the, if you make the most out of that, you can you can afford a slip up or two. I would say a slip up, not say two, a slip up, and still finish the season out strong, right? Just saying, yeah. it can happen. I think it can happen. simply put, for me, I'm a big believer in AR, so I think the offense will be fine there. Just getting rid of Todd Grantham alone is worth two wins to me. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's it's I hate to make it that simple, but that guy was completely lost in trying to coach a defense the last couple of years. Uh, so I, I I I just I think that right there is worth you know make that that defense is instantly better by bringing in a new a new defensive coordinator. Yeah, no, I, I mean at least y'all. Hey, we tried to let y'all know, man. We tried oh, yeah. to let y'all know about Grantham. Yeah. There's some people listen. Hey, look, it makes There's, no sense. Like, he did the same thing at Georgia as he did at Florida. How do you start so good and then it eventually get to where it's trash? I, that, that's ridiculous. the part I don't get. I don't know. How do you start so well and then by year by year progressively get worse? I mean, is this something that we're agreeing on right here? <laughs> One thing every person can agree on is I don't understand how that man has a job as a D.C. Nope. Not my problem no more. It's all I'm going to yeah. say. I mean, and really, not y'all's problem either. No, no, so, no, yeah. Besides recruiting, you know, the le- leftovers in recruiting, that's about it. So, yeah, no, that was that was rough. But, Dave, I'm a le- we're going to wrap this thing up, man. I didn't realize that we've been on, we've been talking Florida for an hour. That's yeah. about an hour too much for me, but I had to do it. <laughs> uh, but now, so, so I want to thank shout out to the brigade for coming in hot and heavy today. Hey, keeping it nice a little bit. I, I was surprised to keep it somewhat content here obviously having a gator in the uh, on the show but at the same time listen there was a lot of good questions so thank you for those questions and the comments um dave where can people find you if they want to follow you on social media yeah they can follow me at gator dave underscore scc you can get gators breakdown on youtube favorite podcast platform out there as well uh usually uh, have some uh, leading up to Florida, Georgia, there's a couple of weeks there with, with the bye week and uh, there too. A lot of a lot of covers going that way. So uh, based here in Jacksonville, so the game means a lot to us covering the uh, covering the game. Absolutely. Now, do you, I know you. Uh, the one way I remember hearing about you was from Twitter Spaces. Is that still a thing that you're doing? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll ramp it up more during the season. Uh, yeah, I don't do a whole lot of Twitter Spaces in the off season. I'm trying to concentrate more on my um, Gators Breakdown Plus side of things. But uh, yeah, once the season ramps up. Definitely get a lot more fan engagement uh, with the uh, with the Twitter Spaces. Absolutely. So if you're if you're on Twitter and you follow them, there's actually some pretty insightful stuff. Even if you're a Georgia fan, I've went in there to listen to things. Listen, we have a, we have what we're talking about, and then hey, you never hurt to pay attention to your other schools that you play every year. I promise you, you learn some insightful things. Uh, so Dave, like I said, that's how I, that's how I found out about you and the Gator Breakdown. Um, 
thanks for coming on today, man. It was a pleasure having you. Um, looking forward to doing something here in this, you know, in the near future, maybe bringing you back on perhaps. Um, and like I said, hopefully, hopefully the brigade didn't treat you too bad. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm good. Like I said, I was raised in Georgia, so I, I, I get used to it. <laughs> look at that. There you go. All right, folks, with that being said, we're going to wrap it up uh, for this edition of the Enemy Intel, obviously talking Florida. Uh, if you're on podcast and hearing this on Tuesday, make sure to tune in uh, for your podcast Saturday as we're talking Mizzou. But we're going to be live Friday talking Missouri uh, with our friends over at the Mizzoucast. Looking forward to that as well. Uh, Dave, have a great day, my friend. Brigade, have a great day. We're wrapping this thing up, and we'll catch you on the next time. Go dogs. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.